Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. I'm your host Andrew Pearson and alongside me as always is my colleague Sean Gray. Hello, good to be here. The Last Lap Podcast, where Grand Prix are like buses. You wait ages for one and then two come along at once. Well, they were within a space of a week, so yes. we could be forgiven. <laughs> uh, a very, very busy week for uh, for both of us, I think, actually. We were quite um, difficult trying to find a time as, as was, so... Uh, a double header and probably actually two good races to do a double header on, given I think it will probably require two races to fill the length of time we usually take for a podcast. <laughs> I was just about to say there was a, there was a Grand Prix in Austin. I don't I don't remember there being a race there. I seem <laughs> to remember watching the formation lap on a loop, but I don't remember being a Grand Prix. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to start with the US Grand Prix. So I'll just hand over to Scott Lamon to take us through the track. It's the United States Grand Prix, held at the Circuit of the Americas near Austin in Texas. It's often been said that Formula One has struggled to gain an audience in America, and the Circuit of the Americas is the latest attempt on the calendar since 2012. The racing around the 3.4 mile circuit has been solid if unspectacular, but let's face it, it would have to try really hard to be worse than the 2005 US Grand Prix at Indianapolis, where issues with the safety of the Michelin tyres used by some teams meant that only the teams using Bridgestones took the start, a grand total of six cars. The Ferraris, the Jordans and the Minardis. Needless to say, the spectators were not impressed. Circuit of the Americas seems to be faring okay so far, although as I say, it has yet to produce a truly great race, despite many of its corner designs having been lifted from other more celebrated tracks. The most significant moment I could think of at the Grand Prix's current location is unfortunately an off-track incident. It's Hatgate, when rather than handbags at dawn, Rosberg and Hamilton instead threw hats at each other in the post-race cool-down room. Let's see if this year gives the United States Grand Prix a memorable on-track moment with Andrew and Sean. So, Austin, one of our sort of favourite new tracks on the calendar, um, it's got a bit of everything in it and usually throws up one or two surprises, um, but sadly not really this year it would seem. No, I mean, like you say, it's one of our favourite new tracks, we think we both praised it last week and oh, it was just a bit meh, wasn't it? I think, I'm not sure whether it was the combination of the tyres that uh, that was chosen to be uh, the choices this weekend or whether it was the fact that we had a couple of virtual safety cars that, that, that seemed to negate any strategy battles but it just didn't seem to really pick up at any point it was like we were, we were coming towards a, a crescendo that never never transpired and, and then that was down to the safety car I guess ultimately that um that basically let the Mercs have a free pit stop, didn't they? And when they they were able to double stack, come out, easily clear the Red Bull, and, and then that was it. There was never, ever going to be any challenge from behind. They were able to just turn everything off and and ensure the one-two in the way that, you know, Merck have done superbly for the last three years, but it doesn't really make for the greatest viewing, does it? 
No, I, I wonder if maybe we'll um, potentially see uh, the Ultrasofts make an appearance um, next next year rather yep. than super soft, soft and medium. Maybe we'll have ultra soft, super soft and uh, soft, which yep. might might make things a little bit more, more interesting. Um, I can but, see what you're saying there. I mean, and it's not the first time this season, in fact, that I've kind of thought that, 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 that medium tire is so good durable that when and you it do doesn't... go with the, you do go with the super soft, soft, medium trio, it's far too easy for them to just go, okay, we'll blast a quick stint on the super soft at the start, five to 10 laps, and then boom, medium to the end. That's it, done deal. It's too easy for them to do that. And that's what they did in Mexico, which we'll come to as well. That That's not fun, really. That's 10, 10 laps of franticness at the start and then 50 laps of, well, we'll just put the hard tire on and manage it to the end and we'll all finish where we started kind of thing. And that's that's not very good. Um, that's not what I want to see from this uh, this three compound regulation that we have at the moment, which I have praised in multiple times in the past. I do think in general it's a good idea, but it is a bit too easy for them to just do a do a quick quality stint on the on the super softs and then just you know lug it out to the end, drag the mediums out a, a fairly extensive stint. Because all, all you get is you just get everybody managing pace and tires and gaps and everything, and and there is the fastest way to do the race. So nobody really, anybody trying a, a contrary strategy struggles to get into it because it is ultimately the fastest way uh, to do the race. It's just the most boring. Yeah, um, I think. And of course, sorry, as just said, and of course, the, with the fact that the Mercs got the free pit stop under the virtual in in Austin. That just it was just a, a, it magnified everything because Ricardo did try something a little bit different and he got shafted because of it. <laughs> I mean, I guess the only the only interesting thing about the tire stops in general really was um, the fact that uh, Mercedes pitted um, Nico first to go onto the medium tires. I think wasn't it or was it? No, oh, no, did they pit in the right? No, no, they pitted him first, didn't they? To get him on the mediums to undercut Ricardo. But Lewis went on to the softs for his second stint, and that was the only bit that changed. And I think maybe if we hadn't had the virtual safety car, it would have been interesting to see um, what might have happened, whether they would have put Rosberg on the soft um, yep. or super soft. I don't know what tyres they had remaining, so it kind of it takes a little bit off there. But, um, but I mean, you are right there in the sense that they did do it slightly differently with the two Mercs. And and again, it's all coming back down to the safety car, is it not only stopped Ricardo getting into the race, but as you rightly point out, any chance Nico had of maybe trying something a little bit different was gone because the Mercs thought, OK, virtual safety car, we box the two guys, free pit stop, stick them both on the exact same tyres, on the exact same lap, in the exact same car. You know, Nico had no chance of of pulling in the gap because everything was equal, and Lewis was ten seconds up the road. So, they just it, it couldn't be done. You know, it's, it's never been like when those two guys, when Hamilton and Rosberg, get in that situation where, where everything is equal, the guy who's in front, ninety nine times out of hundred, is going to stay in front. 
as we've seen so many times over the last two or three years. And that's exactly what happened here. Nico just he had not, didn't have anything at his disposal to be able to possibly catch Hamilton, even if he wanted to. They didn't have it. They didn't, he wouldn't be able to. And, and to be fair, Nico, he didn't have to because, as, as we know, he, second's good at this stage for him in the season. So he's able to just go, OK, I've got everything I need here. Just make sure I don't DNF, turn the power down. And, and Hamilton can have this one. Uh, and, and and Nico will take the second and, and move on because that's all he needs. It's, and that's what we got. We got Hamilton in cruise control up front, and we got Nico pretty content with second, and we got a, a pretty disappointed and frustrated Ricardo in third. I don't know if you if you caught that on the radio uh, discussing the the virtual safety car rules with the pit stops. Did you catch that? Uh, no. What was um, what was that? He basically just went. Um, so he's on the team radio to his engineer. He goes so. He asks, so have they just got a free pit stop under the virtual safety car? And the, and the engineer goes, yeah, yeah, pretty much, mate. And he just went, that, I think he, I can't remember if the bleep machine was used. There's been that many, that many bleep machines in the last couple of weeks in Formula 1, but I think he might have went, that's a joke, you know. Uh, he wasn't too best pleased that, you know, he tried something, tried to be bold and racy on strategy, which you got to give credit to Red Bull because they... Uh, they, they they have done that at times this season. You know they've they've tried to to try something a bit different. So they pitted their Ricardo quite early. You know we're going aggressive on the strategy, and it just completely backfired on them because the Mercs got the free stop. So he wasn't too pleased with that. I mean the fortunate thing as well for him is that Max was out of the race and Ferrari were off the pace, so he never had anything to worry about in terms of coming third. But uh, we were robbed sort of of any any opportunity to see if he could uh, pressurize the mercedes and and because of that because the threat was nullified um in that sense we just uh the mercedes were able to to do their thing and and, and secure their one two that they're so so good at um yeah <laughs> let's talk about max verstappen in this uh in this race <laughs> uh this is one of this is up there with uh, Bottas putting on the wrong compound attire and things like that. One of these excellent Formula One just gags that you get sort of a couple times a season, like uh, Lewis going to the wrong pit box and things like that. It's brilliant, just turning up in the pit lane and going, "Oh, I thought you said box." <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> it was brilliant. I love it. But of course, of course, the interesting thing there is that that that's not even the first time that. Rebel have had a, a guy seemingly turn up in the box and then not be ready for them. If we remember poor old Danny Rick back in Monaco. Um, of course, of course. Yeah, and that was that was a little bit more uh, that costly, was a, wasn't it? In yeah, the... uh, right at the sharp end. And and not his fault either. That was apparently, that was comms between the, yeah. the pit wall and the... Um... I mean, Max took the full blame on this occasion, didn't he? He held his hands up and said... He thought he had box on the radio. I think he said, and I don't know whether it was just a. Well, wasn't I'm uh, sure Brundle said on the thing, or it might have even been Ted Kravitz actually that pointed out that when they do the pit confirm button, of course, yeah, that's, yeah, that puts a big message up in the garage. Yeah, so they should have known, I suppose. Yeah, yeah so if, either he, he thought he was yeah. coming in and then didn't press pit confirm, or. Um, He's pressed to confirm it and it's not worked. Because yeah. Ted was saying that nothing flashed up in the garage. He was watching it. And... Okay, okay. So they didn't 
Red Bull had no notification that he was coming in until he was there. Until basically. he pretty much was in the pitch, and, and then everybody went, "Oh, they're, pro- they're probably what? watching it on the they'll be watching it on the pit wall, seeing him trundle down the pit lane, going, wait, is that is that one of our guys? I think is that is, is that, that our guy? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like I say, it was good comedy value. You need that sometimes in Formula One, you know. <laughs> and then we get the the sort of farce of him. Well, trundling around the track for yeah. two I mean, laps. This is what ultimately cost Ricardo, of course. Yes. You know, we go back to the the safety car, the, well, the virtual safety car that that gave Merck the the cheap pit stop. If Max had parked it in a sensible place, there wouldn't have been a need for that, and Ricardo's race wouldn't have been compromised. So that was, you know, a double whammy for poor old Danny Rick. That it wasn't just a a problem. It was. Uh, it wasn't just a. a an issue with the safety car it was the fact that his teammate had caused it. So, yeah, not not the greatest, uh, not the greatest hour from from Max there. Uh, he'll have better days, I'm sure. Um, so that I guess that kind of leads us on to um, Sebastian in fourth place. Um, I don't really know what happened to um, Ferrari at the race. They seem to turn up. Um, for sort of free practice one and free practice two, all guns blazing. It seemed like they really had a some serious pace, um, but it just didn't kind of materialise into <laughs> race pace. That Which is sounds... funny because that's usually been the opposite way around. They've usually struggled more in quali and then turned up with a slightly better, more racy package for the, you know, for the the main event. Yeah, well, I mean, they just don't have any pace at all, really. <laughs> I think ultimately, it's been that's the story of their season. Fail, you know, hype and and you know, promise and it failing to materialise has been the story of the Ferrari season. You know, um, the Red Bulls, I think, have comprehensively solidified themselves as easily the next best behind Mercedes at this point. I think Danny Rick has uh, more or less secured third in the championship. <laughs> What can you say about Ferrari? You know, it's, 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 you know, it's false dawn after false dawn after false dawn, and changes and behind the scene personnel and all this, and you hear rumours and. First of all, they need some consistency, and then second of all, they need some pace. Uh, the first, the second isn't going to come without the first. I don't think in terms of, you know, you hear rumours of Riva Benny being on the chopping block and things like that, you know, this isn't going to, you can't hope to, you know, consistently put a, a title challenge together and a race winning package together. If you're constantly changing backroom staff and behind the scenes personnel. So they need to get that right. First and foremost, uh, as for this weekend, uh, in Austin, I, I don't know what to say. Just not, just not quick enough, you know, ultimately the country mile ahead of everyone behind, but not, not good enough to get to the guys in front, you know, and then it's just where they are. And it's been where they, it's where they've been most 95% of the season. So I guess we shouldn't really be surprised. I think Vettel strapped on a fresh pair of tires towards the end and popped in a quick, a quick lap or two to show them that trying to, trying to show off that they do have some pace, but ultimately over the course of a race distance, they're not, not as good as the Red Bull at the moment. And, and that's, that's been evidently clear. Um, for most of the season. Speaking of people being slightly too slow at Ferrari, uh, Kimi Raikkonen's um, right back uh, back tyre uh, gunman 
Another bit of a comedy of errors in the pit lane, wasn't it? <laughs> well, I quite like, I quite enjoyed watching uh, Kimi Raikkonen coast backwards down the hill, not specifically not in reverse, uh, to, try, to try and get into the pit lane, <laughs> only to kind of get down there and go, well, but now I can't cross the line to allow the engineers to come and get me. So <laughs> this was all for not very much, I guess. Um, but it's a, she's some. It's got to be some quite incredible car control because he's got those stupid tiny wing mirrors um, to try and reverse that. And, it, and I don't know about you, I find it hard enough to sometimes reverse reverse my car <laughs> if I can put my arm over the back seat and actually look backwards, um, let alone <laughs> trying to see either side of a massively flat, wide car uh, that you can barely see over the top of using two tiny letterbox uh, wing mirrors. Um, so the fact that he didn't run over anybody on the way back is probably a minor miracle. It's Kimi um, Räikkönen, isn't it? He's just a—he's an enigma. He does what he wants. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he does what he wants. I love him. I love him a bit. But you know, and his just entire attitude after the incident stuff was just like, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's nothing, nothing I love more than a Kimi Räikkönen uh, interview. But yeah, I mean, he. <laughs> it was. It was. It was just. A, it was a kerfuffle, wasn't it? It was just a complete, a complete mess. Um, and and it, it all ended up DNF, didn't he? So no points, you know. At the end of the day, what well, I mean, it's hard enough at the moment for Ferrari trying to, you know, hang on to the Red Bull, which uh, ever increasingly seems to be improving faster than themselves. And here's Max, uh, you know, retiring out with a with a. a not exactly 100% sure what it was, but some sort of technical engine problem and uh, and a good chance for Ferrari to get a double points finish and maybe claw some, some way back for from Red Bull in the championship and they go in just the most unnecessary DNF, you know, ultimately at the end of the day. Uh, it's just frustrating, you know, because Kimi's been having a pretty good time of it of late, you know, and, and he was probably on for another half-decent result here and, and that was it out of the race for, for little to no reason. Um, can I can I get happy now? Am, <laughs> am I allowed to be really, really happy? Because well, I, I, mean, I then get to be very, very upset in the next race. So I want to, I kind of want to drink it on, in man. now and get it, get it done and dusted. So that I can, go you on, know, man. the highs and the lows um, of being a McLaren fan the highest of the highs this season, Fernando Alonso is that racing the, uh, his way through to fifth place. Is that oh. the, the highest finish of the season for it McLaren? It certainly is, yep. Fifth place. And uh, I'll be honest, you know, it's been, uh, we've watched the whole other Grand Prix since uh, since Austin. It's a bit hazy. You're going to have to fill me in how uh, Fernando <laughs> managed to perform. Well, to be fair, Fernando Alonso kind of half pretty much filled himself in with um, bits of... Uh, Felipe Massa's tire um, and uh, a, a few elbowy moves on uh, his son Carlos Sainz Jr. I know he's not his son, but I can't help but think of it is. They go for they go for dinner and things. It's brilliant. This is it's becoming my favourite bromance in Formula One yes. for sure. Um, <laughs> so where, where did Fernando start on the on the grid? I'm uh, just trying to think. I can't remember exactly. Um, any just trying to wonder. How many positions you managed to, to gain up a mean feat in that McLaren, you know, given that it's down on power in terms of overtaking and things to be able to, to come through the pack. Um, 
I think it must have been out of the top 10 because he started on the softs. So I think, did he qualify somewhere like 11th or 12th or something like that? Let me, I would need let to double me check. see. No, I'm going to get the results up now. Hang on a minute. It was my, let my fingers do the walking. If anybody remembers that advert, then you're very old, unfortunately. <laughs> I certainly don't. So. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> um, it's a yellow pages ad, isn't it? Let your fingers do the walking. And the, it was the thing, the fingers walking through the yellow pages to try and find out um, what it was. 12th. Okay, so he's made 12th. seven places, which is, you know, as I say, that McLaren is, it needs no introduction in terms of... <laughs> Having to claw back places. Thank you very much. Yes, I, I know where you were going with that. So, yeah, I mean, what I mean, I was talking about this to, uh, you know, one of these Formula One, I use the word fans, who maybe turns up for Silverstone and and Spa or something, maybe watches a handful of Grand Prix a season and knows knows the big guns, but doesn't really follow it closely. And uh, trying to tell me the other day that Lewis Hamilton was the the best driver on the grid. And, you know, if someone's got that opinion, they're more entitled to it. I'm, never, I'm not going to stand there and argue all day. He's a triple world champion and he's proven time and time again that he's quality. But I just made the little point that I was like, yeah, Lewis might well be the best driver on the grid. But for me, it's still Fernando Alonso. And it's the little things like this weekend that you just have to sit back and go, Fernando, God damn it, if you had a winning car since 2006, <laughs> how many championships would you have had, you know? Uh, like, that's another pro- proven point, dragging the McLaren to fifth place, having um, started outside the top 10, and not for the first time this season doing that, by the way. You know, just give that man a race-winning car at least once before he retires, please, and let me see Fernando at the top end of the grid giving it everything because for me he's, he's still the he's still the man eh? he's still the number one for me yeah i i have to say i think um i think that race kind of showed that for all the people who who go oh well he's always moaning about the car and bits and pieces and stuff like that and like why would you have him in a team but that's why you have him in the team that's why ferrari clung on to him for for five years because they knew that he can do it in not the best car if he needs to you just need to give him a car that's got some kind of chance of doing it. He nearly, he nearly won the World Championship in the Ferrari that did not deserve to win the World Championship on pace, you know? And he nearly did it. He, dra- he drags cars to results that they don't deserve to be in. And you just have to look at the relative performance of his teammates over the last 10 years. He always comprehensively outscores his teammate because his teammates are good and drive the car to its potential. Alonso finds more than the car, than its potential, and that's the key thing. Um, some people were not massively happy about uh, the pass on Massa because uh, he dived up the inside fairly late. There was a, a reasonable clunk of wheels that sadly led to uh, Massa getting a puncture, um, which didn't, I think... Um, it didn't change his race. He finished behind signs, which is where he was going to finish anyway. Uh, I don't think he was going to uh, overtake him. Um, and obviously signs sinister six in the Toro Rosso, which on probably any other day would have been um, the, the story of the day really for him. Um, Absolutely. Given how, you know, well-documented, they just don't have any power at the moment, do they? Because it's the old Ferrari engine. So, which the, which leads you to an interesting thing, doesn't it? Really, that if M- McLaren and Toro Rosso can, and I, you know, I know we're talking about Raikkonen and Verstappen being out, um, and technically Hulkenberg as well, 
Um, if they can get there ahead of you know Williams and Force Indias and and all, and all the rest, does that mean that um, Austin isn't really a power circuit? Which is odd because I've always kind of thought it must be, but I guess uh, yeah, yeah. I, no, I see where you're going. It's um, kind of like it can't be if that's the case. If those two cars have done well. Yeah, um, and the Williamses haven't, which is a pure power car, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so, it kind of makes yep. you think. Hmm, yep. I wonder if saying. that's. I wonder if that circuit is a bit more um, technical than we maybe maybe give it credit. Maybe the yeah. infield section is. Uh, you get. I think you get lulled because there's that ma- the massive hill from the start with the big sort of Oruji type lift and then big turn back downhill, and I think that kind of makes you. That's what you think of Austin, isn't it? With the yeah. with the tower and bits and pieces, but uh, but looking at it, the the infield section is really quite, um, you know, sort of quite complex. Really, when you um, when you get down to it, it's got the um, uh, it's got that um, uh, curb that um, the, or the curve that's a bit like the old sort of um, turn nine in in uh, in in Turkey. Yeah, the, is it the, the quadruple apex? Or... Yeah, the, the, the three corners that are one corner. And yeah. then there's the sort of maggots and Beckett's um, sort of section after that. But you, yeah, it's it's the... Um, uh, yeah, because there's the two long stretches. There's the one up the hill uh, in sector one, and then there's the long back straight in zone two. But both of the, that that actually leads on to uh, the sector three, which is massively sort of technical. So... I wonder if maybe we shouldn't have um, really been thinking of uh, as often as the the place where power is key. And actually, it's um, it's much more like a um, uh, you know a technical circuit that, that suits a car that's got good downforce. Well, like I say, given the relative finishing positions of Alonso and, and Carlos, then. Yeah, that's definitely. It'd be interesting to see how the track uh, plays out next season with the with the reg changes and things like that. So, one to keep an eye on for sure. But I'm 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 a bit with you there. I I just it's one that you'd naturally assumed power, but you know. I guess it's a bit like the in the infield section of Spa. And you yeah, think of, of Spa course, as yeah. being the the long straights and Eau Rouge, but actually the middle part of that. Um, is very technical and actually if we think back to the race this year that's where Fernando Alonso was able to keep all his places in Spa because he was able to keep people behind in that section and get far enough ahead so that on the straights where he was really vulnerable he was enough ahead that um, he wasn't being able to be sort of breezed past so um, yeah interesting interesting Uh, so we skip down to um, Massa in seventh for Williams uh, finishing a reasonable way ahead of Sergio Perez in fourth to um, give uh, Williams something to uh, cheer about uh, in their their battle with Force India for fourth in the constructors. Um, Sergio Perez, it, interesting, isn't it? That he he's the guy that signed for Force India um, and has probably been a little bit lacklustre in the last few races would be a kind of fair assessment. Uh, I'm not sure. Possibly. But he's well, he's finished eighth here. Uh, like you say, we've just spent, you know, some time discussing that, you know, Fernando and Carlos have done well to get fifth and sixth and perhaps it's 
it hasn't really suited the power tr uh, cars that we thought it might. So I'm not sure eighth is a particularly poor result for. for I mean, we don't we don't know where Hulkenberg would have ended up because obviously he got taken out in the uh, uh, at the start of the race. Um, yeah. But I'm just thinking about that, and then uh, the, with the next race um, as well. Uh, I'm just thinking there was a lot of talk when you know when Hulkenberg got his call up to Renault. Uh, a lot of people were saying, "Oh well, you know, you'd really want Perez. He's you know he's outshone Hulkenberg in bits and pieces." But um, you know they've actually been very similar on on track. You know, l like we were saying in the last episode, Sergio's popped up with a couple of. Uh, tasty results at the start of the season, but other than that, it's been very close. And and Hulkenberg has definitely been of the two, the one who's s sort of suffered the most in race. I think uh, they're both equally, and I, and I, and I mean I mean truly like very very equal. Like I wouldn't be upset or disappointed with either if I, if I had to pick one or the other. And it was a, a you know a random draw, and I, I got one or the other. I, I, they're both very, very, very similar for me in terms of ability and performance. So, um, in terms of who going to Renault and and would you want Perez? Would you want Hulkenberg? No, like I said, I think I think it's fifty fifty. And would uh, in terms of Renault, Hulkenberg just seems a bit more Re Renault fit for me. Perez seems to be. Force India seems to be a good fit for Perez. I, I, I don't know why I'm saying that. I don't know why I think that. It just feels that way. If anybody was going to leave, it always felt like Hulkenberg would be the one to leave. You know what I mean? He, he, he always seemed to be the one that was less settled. Perez seems very settled and comfortable there. Um, so you might be right in the sense that he he's maybe taking his foot off the gas now that he's got a, a new deal, maybe. But... Uh, I don't know. The, the Force India is such a funny team, you know. In terms of sometimes they 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 look like they could get a podium. Sometimes they're they're off the pace, and anytime they're in the points, I don't. I, I'm not. I, I think that's just what you know. Eighth position this week for Perez in Austin. I think that's just fine. Like that's that's where I that's where I expect the Force India roughly to be, and that's where it's finished. So I don't think it's uh, a particularly bad bad effort from him. Uh, so that leads on to ninth place, uh, Jensen Button. Now, again, we're, we're, I'm massively happy with Alonso in fifth. Obviously, that um, that suits me down to the ground. Um, but Jensen Button's made up ten places here. Started in nineteenth, finishes ninth. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it gives more credence to the the theory that this is suiting the the aero focus cars more than the power cars. You know. Uh, taking nothing away from Button, of course, he's obviously given it a wonderful drive, but it looks as if the McLaren has liked the track a lot more than the naked eye might have thought at the beginning of the weekend, put it that way. Uh, Grosjean scores a point for Haas at their home race, which is um, obviously a, a, a you know a nice thing for, for them as a constructor. Of course, um, uh, it's good to see them get a point. You know, you, just because you, with these new teams that come in, you don't want to see them do really well and then they, they start to lose interest if they become less successful, you know. They get off to a bright start and then and then begin to struggle year two, year three when the going gets tough. You don't want to see them lose interest and just up sticks and go. You know, you want them to be in it for the long haul. So 
them getting a point in their home Grand Prix certainly good for that in that sense, you know. Good for them. And they um they were kind of well they were flirting with doing something, you know, um sort of this week. Uh but that's Grosjean started in seventeenth, so he's also made up um you know, a handful of places to um to make it that far. Uh, so that that's good for him because he's he's having such an, an iffy season really in that Haas. It's definitely kind of seems like two steps forward, uh, uh, sorry, one step forward, two steps back. Do you know what I mean? They'll, they'll have a good race or something will happen that'll be good. Um, and then they'll, you know, they've like they've had this stupid brake problem um, seemingly forever. Um, and it was the chassis at the start of the season and all these bits and pieces. And that uh, you kind of feel... Because I think Grosjean, Grosjean has signed, I think, hasn't he, for next season for Haas? Yeah, as far as I'm aware, yeah. So he isn't going here. So he really kind of the team need to focus behind him if he's, you know, if he's the lead driver and they're not looking to get and spend the money to get anybody more experienced in or try and poach somebody from somewhere else, then um, he's got to be the team's focus, uh, you know, for this year. If if Gutierrez is not worth their consideration of automatically signing which you know I get the impression that he's on a very very sticky wicket Gutierrez in terms of the Haas guys being pretty frustrated uh, with how his race performance has been from what I gather he's quick you know and he's undoubtedly can, can be quick but whether he's got the consistency and the ability to be a good race driver for you know sixty seventy laps week in week out in a race without making mistakes and things like that, you know, um, I think they're becoming a bit frustrated with that from what from what I can tell reading between the lines. Uh, obviously, he's Ferrari back though, and Haas have got Ferrari connections, so time will tell. Do they have enough pool to to secure him a secure him another season? Because I get the feeling that if if Haas weren't, you know, under the Ferrari umbrella, they'd have they'd be quite quick in replacing Gutierrez with somebody else. And I think that kind of um uh takes you on to um the next gentleman we're gonna talk about, which is Kevin Magnussen in eleventh in the Renault. Um which is a pretty good result. For, for Renault, in fact, the, the, the Renault had a, a fairly good um, good race for them um, in in Austin with Magnussen eleventh and Palmer in thirteenth. Um, but Magnussen is apparently the the rumours around the paddock were um, an offer for Haas next season, um, which I, I don't know whether he's seriously considering or whether he's waiting to hear what Renault have to say. Um, it's a funny one, that, because I mean, we've talked a while about Renault and what they're up to with their driver lineup and things like that, and we both agreed wholeheartedly that they'd be foolish to, to get rid of Kevin Magnussen. Right? Fair enough, bringing in Nico Hulkenberg. There's a genuinely top-drawer sign-in. They've, they've got one of the best guys out there that doesn't drive for one of the, the elite teams. Um, but to have a guy like Kevin Magnussen on your books and be wanting and willing to put the hard graft in when the team isn't performing, 
you know, and put that graft in to get it to somewhere where it can perform. Kevin Magnuson is there and willing to go through that whole process to potentially offload him to just discard that that talent and that you know not just talent but desire to get stuck in and help the team along just seems mental and we discussed that at length so you can kind of understand why Kevin Magnuson might look about and say well I'm not getting any love here from from my current team after you know me doing everything I can for this car that isn't really performing this season you know and they're they're you know not not willing to give me the time of day kind of thing. Maybe I should look elsewhere. Well, but it's it, the funny thing, isn't it? Is that the way you kind of look at it is Hulkenberg has gone from um, a private team to Renault because they're a manufacturer and they've got the budget and all the other bits yep. and pieces. So he's taken the gamble that Force India can't really improve on where they are, but Renault could make a massive leap. Whereas mm-hmm. I guess Magnussen's choice is I could try and stick it out and fight Palmer. Um, for my seat uh, and be with a manufacturer team who could improve massively or he could look at it and go I've seen what Renault are going to bring I'm not massively convinced that we're going to be making the steps that they're you know to to make it Haas look like with their Ferrari backing they will be um, a decent midfield team uh, with and you never know what they might be able to get from Ferrari which might suddenly propel them up the grid, you know, Ferrari produce a beautiful chassis next season and they pick that up. Haas could suddenly go from being a midfield team to being right on the edge of the the top, uh, whilst Renault are still pouring billions (laughs) into their project to take it from, you know, last year's Lotus to 2017 Renault. Um, So I find it a really hard thing to think about. I, I don't know what I would do in that situation to say Haas have guaranteed me two years in Formula One or I hang around with Renault hoping that they renew my contract, which might only be for a year. Um, or they might not at all and I might miss my Haas opportunity. If yeah, I don't. that's it. If he doesn't, t- you know, that's that's the, that's the tricky bit, you know. If he knocks Haas back and then he doesn't get the Renault deal, then he's out on his ear completely, you know. That's... I mean, it's just a bit of a merry-go-round. I, just I mean, at least at least Haas isn't like going down to a Sauber or a Manor um, where you feel like there would be no hope at this point. Yep. Um, you know, Manor might do something decent enough. You know, they might bring on something next season, but I don't really see it. And uh, despite Mar- Mar- Marcus Ericsson's Phoenix-like, Phoenix-like rise at the end of the season, I, I don't <laughs> think the Sauber's going anywhere either, especially not next season with uh, last year's uh, Ferrari engine in it, uh, or this year's Ferrari engine in it, uh, as is. Um, so he's probably got two teams he'll almost certainly be ahead of, regardless of whatever happens with the rest of the field, um, and maybe still be ahead of his old team. You just you just never know. I just I find it odd that Renault have played themselves into this kind of situation because I don't see where the better drivers are going to come from, and that's true about Palmer as well. To be fair. Um, if they hadn't been able to have got Hulkenberg, I think with the way that Julian Palmer's picked up his game in the latter half of this season, um, why would you look at Verline potentially? Um, although he seems more destined to go to Force India, it, it would seem. But I certainly don't understand why you'd be seriously looking at Ocon yeah, to I replace mean... either of those two drivers. He's done nothing in the manner in the half season that he's got now. 
Um, it can only be, surely, for reasons not including driving talent. You know. Well, it it has to be. There has to be some tie in the background. It, you know, it has to be the reason why he's a Mercedes young driver, but driving for Renault. But that it just doesn't make any sense to me. If that's what Renault want to be doing, they should. Uh, you know, as we said, Hulkenberg, you're you're, you're going to take him if he's available. That just makes sense. But Magnussen and Palmer are, as far as I'm concerned, ahead of anybody else they could pretty much get. Yep. The only possible exception would have been Danny Kvyat. I agree. If, if Toro Rosso hadn't kept him on. But Toro Rosso have got him on. So what are you looking at? Marcus Ericsson, well, no. Felipe Nazar, who I think has some talent, but I don't think he's better than Jolien Palmer. Um, yep, I would agree. I would agree. That's a fair statement. Yep. Uh, Verline, who's shown glimpses of being good, but certainly isn't consistent enough, I think, to be getting that manufacturer's seat right now. Yep, you'd be wanting another season of Verline in the manor. You know, one yeah. more full season... Showing week in week out that he can dominate his teammate and maybe nick the odd point in the manner, then we'll talk, you know. But yeah. I agree at this point, no. And um, it's and obvious for me. It's it's just really obvious that, that 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 I agree with you that it's Magnus. I mean, you talk about Palmer, and I agree he has improved. But for me, it's just it, it it's so obvious that Magnus and of all the guys, all the names that we've mentioned, he's clearly the one that you would want to have. I I find it really frustrating as a fan. That uh, that you know that I'm looking at Renault team and going, what what are they doing? Why are they not? Why are they not just signing Kevin and getting on with it? Like of all the guys that they could put together going into next season, if they could sit back over the winter and go, Nico Hulkenberg and Kevin Magnussen, that's a that's a pretty good lineup for Renault. I mean, that's a strong thumbs up lineup right there, you know. And they've got that chance to do that, set it in stone now, and they're dilly-dallying and doing whatever and messing them about. It's, it's frustrating. I feel bad for Palmer, I do, because he has picked up his game. But for me, if I'm Renault team boss and I've got the opportunity to head into a brand new sort of era of regulations where Nico Hogenberg and Kevin Magnussen are spearheading away, I'm thinking I've got myself a pretty good hand there. Uh, so to move on from... Um, oh well, it's got a sandwich between the Renaults was... Uh, Danny Kvyat a long way behind uh, Carlos Sainz, but I think did he not? He had some problems during the. Oh no, he he got a penalty, didn't he? Actually, um, he got a ten second time penalty, didn't he, for um, hitting Sergio Perez? Is that for uh, in Texas in Austin? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, so um, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but uh, he definitely got a penalty. I don't know whether that meant that he. Uh, I don't have the timing, so I can't tell whether he, like, f- finished on track ahead of the Renaults and then got demoted that way, or, or that's roughly where he was, and there was enough time gap between the two to to slot in there. Um, but yeah, sli- slightly disappointing. But I, like, I think in this race and last race, he he he's had problems with the car, so he's he's not been able to sort of um, perform to his teammates teammates levels to to some extent um he's got the next season in the car so i think with two races to go i think what he's got to do is recollect himself and make sure that if he has a bad finish to the season if the next two races don't go his way that he just wipes them clean and says next year we're you know we're back in proper proper engines you know and we'll be back on an even keel Let's... Huge year for him, isn't it? It's a 
let's just do it and 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 take that chance. He needs to get his head straight over the winter, like you say, and come in and just focus because it he could said, be a sec. Yeah. It could be a second life for him almost at Toro Rosso. Because I, I, th- I thought I was just gonna say we, we both thought you know that this would be his last year under the Red Bull umbrella, didn't we? We both thought that. Yes. So it looks like he's going to get 2017 new regulations, you know, fresh start. Obviously, he's frustrated it didn't work out at Red Bull, but he has to be able to come back over the winter and say, okay, I've got one season here in the Toro Rosso. Just let's just one season, let me show everybody what I can do. And if I never get another chance at Red Bull because they've got Max Verstappen, fine, but let's, I'm going to show everybody what I can do and I'm going to get a chance at. You know, Williams or Renault or Force India or whoever else, because it's that or it's not being Formula One really for him. You know, so he has to get his his head his head straight first and foremost. This season was always going to be a write off coming back into the team, having been out at the at the senior team. It, you know, it was he spent five or six weeks, just you know, his head was nowhere. And then he's been on the back foot ever since, and only now is he starting to sort of drive a little bit better. So we'll we'll give him a pass, I think, on this season because of the upheaval. Next season, I want to see the Danny Kvyat that we saw maybe you know a season or two ago that we thought had genuine potential. We need to see that next season. Otherwise, it's finished for his Formula One career. Uh. Marcus Ericsson finishes uh, 14th, one ahead of Felipe Nasser in the other Sauber. Uh, Bottas finishes 16th. I have absolutely no recollection of what happened to Valtteri Bottas and why he finished so far down. There is a reason. I think he was involved in an incident, but I can't remember. <laughs> oh, wait, did he? Oh, no, he hit. Um, he took out Hulkenberg, didn't he? That's correct. That is what happened, yes. Surprisingly, he did make up more places, though. Unless his car was I, I assume knackered. he was humped, yeah. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> uh, and then probably Manor's worst race for a long time with um, Verline 17th and Ocon two laps down by the end of the race. Um, That's almost Minardi stuff from Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, you you know, I, I think Manor uh, have got to be content with at least finishing on the same lap. And if, if they're not doing that, then, um, you know, they're... Uh, that driver is a long way behind where they um, they should be on the track in that car with the Mercedes in it. It's good enough, I think. It's good enough to put in lap times that in quality have meant that they haven't been at the back of the grid, in which case they can't be finishing less than a lap down. I, I really feel that that, you know, unless it was a particularly short lap. Do you know what I mean? Maybe Monaco, you maybe give them a, you know, a bit of a pass, but... You know, the last two races, you've got to be finishing on that same lap as the leader. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I like it when I say things you can't disagree with. It's really funny. Uh, that is what it is, you know. What can you say about the manners? They've had a, they've had a, a pretty, you know, an okay season as far as they've got. It's the most competitive car they've probably ever had, given the Mercedes uh, little boosts that they've had. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't a good weekend for them, what can you say? No, no, absolutely not. So DNFs in. Uh, yeah, I was just um, Kimmy, Kimmy's uh, pit lane hilarities. <laughs> um, Max's own hilarities. Yeah, Max's. Uh, did, did they ever actually tell us what was wrong with his car? 
Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm sure. I'm sure it probably came out. It sounded it just pure. Just the way it sounded um, when he broke down, it sounded like transmission or something. But because he, he kept ha- it going for quite a while, wasn't it? He yeah. He bumbled around the track for. <laughs> yeah, at least a lap almost. Um, I'm not quite sure what he was trying to do, if he was trying to get it back to the garage or what, but Well they usually tell them, don't they, straight away. It's usually the the first thing that they do is say, switch off the car, switch off the car. In fact, Pascal Veyline, somebody who doesn't listen to his engineers when uh, they tell him to switch the car off. Um but they must not have said to him Switch off the car. So I guess he can only do he can only do what his uh, engineers tell him to do. He says he didn't get a warning on his on why it failed. As soon as he exited turn eleven, he heard a noise and had to park the car. So it doesn't, you know, that's that's the quote I've got from Max there. So not a hundred percent sure what the failure was, but you know, um, something internal. Gutierrez retired as well. I can't remember why. Um, and obviously we lost. Nico Hockenberg on the first lap again this season. Yep, he makes a little bit of a habit of that, Nico, to be honest. We've just been praising him, saying that he is a, a good driver and he deserves a move to a good team, but not the first time he's ended up out on lap one. <laughs> no, uh, it has to be said a lot of time that it actually hasn't been his fault this season. It's not. Um... It, it probably isn't his fault. It's probably just one of those weird coincidences that sometimes you get in sport where the same thing keeps happening to one guy and no, <laughs> what, what do you no. what do you mean sean you couldn't possibly tell me that uh <laughs> something happening repeatedly to one teammate and not the other isn't is just a coincidence what? coincidence in sport <laughs> <laughs> it must be a conspiracy anyway um that's boston and it wasn't good <laughs> no, it wasn't it was pretty dull um it, The problem with modern F1 races is the best action really happens in the first 10, maybe 15 laps and then happens in the last 20. There is a definite lull in the... The middle part is all about who's going to pit when after their second stint. It's just... It's fuel and tyre saving time before everybody thinks, great, I can put on some new rubber and then go for it at the end when the car's nice and light. Um, yep. Which means um, when you get like here that you get a virtual safety car somewhere around lap twenty-five, you know, or twenty-five laps to the end, or thirty laps to the end, whatever it whatever it ended up being, you would not you null the race because everybody can go, oh, that's fine, I'll come in and pit then. Um, yeah, and then and, what you end up with is just nothing to the end, basically. <laughs> which is what we had here, and that's also thanks to our good friends. The Pirelli medium tyres, realistically, um, who <laughs> don't drop the pace. There doesn't seem to be so much of a pace difference, and they work in uh, more conditions. It seems that the super soft and soft tyres um, are so temperature dependent that you can't tell one one moment to the next whether they're going to be any good or not, but the medium seems to just operate fairly well in hot and cold conditions. It doesn't like it when it's very, very hot, um uh but it it seems to to kind of run all right in um enough of a wide enough window that makes it the best race tire half of the time when yep. it's an option yeah i want rid of it i think <laughs> after the last couple of grand prix it kind of makes yeah. you wonder what's the point of ever taking the hard anywhere really isn't it 
Yeah, I mean, how often have we seen that? Not very often. This season, Once, I we? think. Has there been one race with the? I think there's been one race with the hard tire. I, I remember. I remember seeing it, but I can't remember exactly where it was. Um, the interesting thing about the virtual safety car is, you know, Ricardo was obviously saying on the radio, "Oh, this isn't fair," and things like that. And it got me thinking a little bit. It was like, well, what could you? Could you ban pitting under the virtual safety car? Would that be an option? I think that's I think that's possible with the VSC because it's a neutralized race, um, as a, yeah, as opposed to a safety car where you're expecting the track to be dangerous. Yep, um, of course. So the expectation for me that if it's VSC time, then the cars can continue on track, essentially infinitely at a slow pace. They're not going to be destroying their tires because they're going. Uh, at delta rather than at full speed um, they're going to be saving fuel so and there is no refueling anyway so uh, that's that's not a thing so the only reason to pit is if you want to try and take advantage of it um, and I think because especially because with the virtual safety car um, the restarts can be so massively different depending on where you are on the track you know some people, the green light pops on uh, and they're able to kind of go uh, and others have to wait until they get to the next point where they can put the foot down. So it can be that, you know, you lose out massively in the, the VSC restarts enough as it is um, without people sort of ducking and diving, doing pit stops and whatever. So I'd, I'd be kind of happy to say, yeah, you can't pit for any non-mechanical reason, so if you're, you you know if your car's overheating on uh, or something like that, and they need to take a look at it, then you can come into the pits, but you can't just come in and change tires. Um, it's an interesting conundrum because I did, like I said, I was thinking about it, and pitting under the safety car has always been part of F1. It's always been part of F1 strategy. But it's it's never a guaranteed thing, is it? You have to wait until the whole thing shakes down, don't you? Generally, before yep. you well, know. That's- it. That's what. That's what. You know. Whereas the, with the VSC, everything you know yeah. exactly where everything's going to be. There's no. Yeah. It adds a whole element. It's a whole different. Just a whole different proposition than you're st- than, than pitting under a full safety car. And generally, when you're pitting under the safety car, you've got to kind of immediately do it as soon as it's called. Whereas with the VSC is going to be out for four or five laps, it doesn't matter when you pit because you'll come yeah, back out you, into the same yeah, place. Exactly. So exactly. you can sit there and think about it for, you know, a good couple of minutes before you go, whereas, actually, you know, we could get something out of this. Whereas if you don't do it under a full safety car and you delay it a lap, you're at the back of the snake or whatever, because by that time everybody's caught up the safety car. So it's a very different proposition. And I don't know what the 100% the correct answer is, but I am kind of leaning to saying no pitting under the VSC. Just... It just completely ruined this race, eh, for me. And and that, that, that that's made me take a very negative view on it. Uh, so had it went the opposite way and spiced up the race, maybe I would have a different opinion. But at the moment, it just doesn't seem quite right at the moment for me. It's obviously, it's still the first season of the VSC, so we are going to have little things like this that crop up. Possibly, definitely one to look at. Um, for the for the rule makers over the next year or so. So let's um, 
head back to our uh, man with the stats, Scott Lamond, to give us a quick overview of the Mexican Grand Prix. It's the United States Grand Prix, held at the Circuit of the Americas near Austin in Texas. It's often been said that Formula One has struggled to gain an audience in America, and the Circuit of the Americas is the latest attempt on the calendar since 2012. The racing around the 3.4 mile circuit has been solid if unspectacular, but let's face it, it would have to try really hard to be worse than the 2005 US Grand Prix at Indianapolis, where issues with the safety of the Michelin tyres used by some teams meant that only the teams using Bridgestones took the start, a grand total of six cars. The Ferraris, the Jordans and the Minardis. Needless to say, the spectators were not impressed. Circuit of the Americas seems to be faring okay so far, although as I say, it has yet to produce a truly great race, despite many of its corner designs having been lifted from other more celebrated tracks. The most significant moment I could think of at the Grand Prix's current location is unfortunately an off-track incident. It's Hatgate, when rather than handbags at dawn, Rosberg and Hamilton instead threw hats at each other in the post-race cool-down room. Let's see if this year gives the United States Grand Prix a memorable on-track moment with Andrew and Sean. Now, Sean. Yes. We are wrestling fans. We are. Uh, well. Were you as <laughs> were you as outraged as I was when you heard David Croft uh, called Mystico Mystico? Uh, yes. Oh man. I seen him sitting I seen him in the in the garage. Oh it's Sin Cara. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, uh, Crofty man, yeah. I mean he's <laughs> What's he? He's, he's not to know, is he? Give him a break, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Again, I could, hey, I could complain for about an hour about David Croft and things that he says. <laughs> That's true. Um, <laughs> mispronouncing a Mexican luchador not in the top ten yet. <laughs> Fair enough. I just wanted to get that out of the way because I had a feeling that you would be the, the same. That when he said it, did you immediately shout out, he's bloody mystico, you... Uh, it, it, you know, it sounded like a dad trying to be cool with the kids. Yes. It sounded like. Uh, I've just received a tweet, uh, <laughs> and apparently that gentleman's name is Miss Dicko. What? Yeah. He's a good. Uh, oh, good. And now you... I'm going to listen to some R&B and rap with my good friend Dracky. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Crofty. And Kenny uh, East. He's got so many wrong opinions anyway, so. You might as well be wrong about something else. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you're not listening, David. <laughs> um, Quali was uh, a bit nail biting. In fact, the whole of the whole of practice seemed a bit. It Nico, was if you were a Nico Rosberg fan, was very nail biting. It, it was just. It was just not. I'm not even sure he was that slow. I think he was just couldn't compete with Lewis at all this weekend. From from the word go, sometimes. Lewis Hamilton does this, you know. He, he, he is. I'm going on about Fernando Alonso earlier, but if anybody wants to come to me and demand that Lewis Hamilton's the best driver in the world, I'm not going to fight them too hard because of weekends like this, because he has the ability to just turn up and be absolutely impossible to beat from start to finish. And, he, and this is what he was this weekend. Qualifying practice, Nico was half a second down, you know. Nico Rosberg's not driving necessarily awfully, 
He just Lewis Hamilton was just mighty, you know, and and that's what what Lewis gives you. You know, several times a season, uh, he has the ability to come in and just dominate the weekend. He did that here. Nico was uh, in qualifying, I think, ultimately only two and a half tenths down on him. And I thought that was a good effort by Nico because he'd been about double that down for most yeah. of the weekend. Nico drove a stonking lap to, to secure second on the grid and to get within as close to Lewis as what he did. Nico, playing the percentages as he did in the United States and as he's done again here in Mexico, just doing what he needs to do, you know. If Lewis wins the race, that's fine. Just make sure he gets second. He was under pressure, but he got it. He did what he had to do. Verstappen and Ricardo were putting him under pressure, but he nailed the, the key crucial lap that he had to nail to get that second on the grid because he could not afford to be third or fourth on the grid because then he would be in all sorts of trouble, down possibly into turn one, you know, more at risk of contact, more at risk of a DNF, more at risk of spinning and being at the back of the field, whatever. That second place on the grid from just, you know, one position, two positions made all the difference. It allowed him to, you know, go into the race and say, okay, if I don't get loose at the first corner, that's fine. Just as long as I can maintain the gap, maintain where I am, I'll be absolutely fine. It gave him the the correct mentality to go into the race. And, and it, you got to give him credit for, for nailing the crucial lap when he did. Uh, but... I don't think he could have done anything to beat to beat Lewis uh, in qualifying here. He was Lewis was just on it, uh, and that's why he's the triple world champion. He's 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 pace. You know, sometimes if he's pure and utter one lap speed at times can be impossible to live with. Uh, other interesting notes from Quali was the fact that uh, Red Bull were so close to the Mercedes, closer than they've been at any point during the season. Um, and the Ferraris struggled to get to sixth and seventh place. Um, yep. <laughs> I think we've kind of covered that, so let's don't really have to go over that. But it was interesting that we had Mercedes, Mercedes, Red Bull, Red Bull, Force India, Ferrari, Ferrari, Williams, Williams um, in the I, in the top ten. Yeah, I think Hulkenberg had a, just one of those stellar laps as well. You know. Um, I mean, to be fair, it was by. Um, like about five one hundredths of a second, so it was, it wasn't uh, you know that Force India dominated to that fifth place, but he was able to do it and get ahead of the Ferraris, who were um, a good three tenths down on the Red Bulls, which is um, not what you want to be seeing. Not uh, not what you want to be seeing, but uh, you know, as you said, we talked about it earlier, and I think they probably this is where they, where they are. are. Yeah, it's where they, <laughs> yeah, it's just where they are. Unfortunately, Hulkenberg. Uh, super lap. He, I think he just he got everything out of that post India. You know, he left nothing out there. Like where Perez was, uh, would would probably be you know a fairly decent enough stick for the Force India. But Hulkenberg, he did the Alonso here. He he, he you know, dragged it to a position that you know probably is above and beyond what could have been hoped for. Uh, which is he needed a good weekend. You know, we go back to him saying that he you know out at turn one. The last couple of races, he needed a good weekend here, and and he, he nailed it in qualifying. So credit where it's due there for for Nico Hulkenberg. So back to the race. Right, you um, say it's all about the first sort of ten laps at the moment. Eh? So what did you make of the uh, the start then? Because there was a couple of little incidents going down and uh, going down to turn one. Well, uh, 
I don't know how I feel about it all. I almost can't blame Lewis for doing what he did. He locked up and gave himself a flat spot. So that's not good for a start. Do you know what I mean? He's not done it on purpose to make up time because you wouldn't damage a tyre like that. You'd have um, cadence braked more and uh, taken a wider line if it, you know, if you wanted to really be on pace because it'd be better to save the tyres than it would be to skip across the grass in the way he did after locking up so heavily. Um, however, when you see how much farther ahead he was by cutting the corner, and, you know, okay, yeah, he's slow, but everybody else is going into a 90-degree corner pretty much and then into another 90-degree corner in the chicane. So they're not going very fast either. Um, so I suspect he's still going faster through there than anybody else is. It's also a hell of a lot shorter, uh, and he ends up in a straight line coming onto the big straight. So he definitely ends up with four or five seconds, I would have thought, you know, ahead of the pack. Um, okay, that might be elongated slightly because of the next incident that we're going to talk about. But he doesn't, he gets an advantage. Now, I think he's very lucky in that the VSC came out and then they went to safety car because it completely nullified any advantage that he had. And I think that rather helped make the stewards, the stewards mind up because... Yep nothing lasted he didn't he wasn't able to take that four seconds and keep it you know for for any real length of time but you'd have to say that in the you know in the spirit of how racing works if you lock up massively and can't make a corner you shouldn't end up with some advantage and if you do have an advantage you should be penalized as was shown to other people um throughout the race um so am i upset he didn't get a penalty no could he have gotten a penalty? Yes, I think he could. But the fact that he didn't doesn't overly bother me because I think in terms of the rules and the way it's laid out, that lasting advantage, as they call it, didn't happen. He didn't get a lasting advantage uh, and, as it was, then had to drive around with a big old, big old flat spot on his tyre for yep. uh, 15, 15 laps until he could change them. So, you know, I'm a kind of is what it is with that incident. Um, I, I generally agree. Um, anybody who listens to the show know I'm I'm a bit. I don't like to see things punished on the first corner anyway. Uh, I think yeah. it was because it was so wide. I know. I know. Do you know what I, I mean? I, I, you look yeah, at the, the 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 routes that Rosberg and Verstappen took, and yeah. they cut a small portion of the corner, but essentially, essentially then had to come onto the track and immediately swing ninety degrees left, yeah. uh, which is. Crap, because you don't want to be doing that in a Formula 1 car. You want to be going straight. And he went completely straight to the uh, best point of the corner that he could get to so he could put the power down. Um, that's that's the big difference between, I think, about what, you know, about those those kind of incidents that, yes, in both, in all three cases, the person stayed ahead of the, you know, was ahead of a car behind them. Um, it's about, I think, the the damage it really takes to uh, have made that move. And I think Lewis, uh, if he hadn't have locked his tyre at all, do you know what I mean? If he had just gone in too fast uh, without braking, um, would have had such a massive advantage from that, you know, with clean tyres and being being so far away that um, it, I think it would have been, would have been looked at. I think, I think so. Uh, then that takes you to Rosberg and Verstappen on the, on the uh, yep. s- sort of second corner. Um and again, I think that worked itself out in that yeah. if you go 
Rosberg had to go to was pushed onto the grass, but then used the grass to stay ahead of Verstappen. Um, Verstappen could have easily gotten a penalty for shoving Rosberg off the track, even though it was in turn one, but didn't. I think it all works itself out to say Max didn't get the place. Nico didn't actually get any damage. Um, everybody was allowed to continue fine. race and everything <laughs> ended up in the way that it probably should have been had everybody, um, you know, followed into that corner in the right way. So again, you could say that um, all three of them deserve a penalty and none of them got one. So for the turn one stuff i'm i am okay with what happened because i think when you when you look at it from a racing point of view everything kind of evened out so that's that's fine and even though that technically makes and I, we yeah we say it a lot f1 stewarding consistency and all these bits and pieces i think it ended up being a consistent first corner type of you know situation so that's fine. It's when something happens in the first corner, you think, well, that's just rubbish. You you know, you've walked away from this unscarred and unscathed and somebody else's race has been completely ruined. Uh, that's when I would like to see things done in turn one. But as it was, okay, I can, I can be happy with that. Uh, and then we didn't get anything, did we? Like literally nothing. Everybody in station for... 40 laps Sean hello oh god he's died I've bored him to death Sean where are you hello Sean no. hello ah hello there you are yeah man yes I can not, hear you not, not sure what happened there <laughs> strange damn mic thing <laughs> so yeah uh, I heard everything you said. I just I was sitting going hello, hello, and I couldn't figure out why you were. <laughs> I was just talking, me. mate. I was in a world of <laughs> So yeah, um, like you said, I'll just go from where you said something about forty. I'll oh, just carry on, mate. Just uh, carry on. I'm going to leave that all in. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't even. That's like we talked about earlier. You know, there's these lulls in the in the middle of Grand Prix that. How do we fix them? I'm not quite sure. But it wasn't great because the strategy, the tyre strategy here in Mexico didn't lend itself to the best of racing. We just had this uh, the short bursts sort of on this softer tyre and then everybody straps on the the mediums and and off we pop to the end of the race. And it's, it's, it doesn't make for, for particularly good viewing. Uh, we had uh, Lewis out in front, Nico out in second... Uh, I think was it Verstappen in in third at this point. Danny Rick's done the the contrary strategy again. But he had a bad start, remember? Yeah, he so, so he, he came he in, dropped down, and that's why he pitted under the virtual safety car, but the others didn't because I think he was down to like about seventh, wasn't he? Yeah, so he's he's tried something different. Uh, but you know, up the front, we're kind of all on slightly similar strategies, albeit pitting. Uh, at varying times in the first stint, so Max is a, Max was one of the first to bite, so he had longer on the the second stint. The Mercedeses had uh, an average amount of time on the in the second stint, and then Sebastian, who ended up in front, 
and dragged his uh, first stint out ex- extraordinarily long, he had a shorter second stint. So we we had them all on a similar strategy in terms of soft tire, boom, medium tire, but with varying life in the tires depending on when they'd chosen to stop. So there was enough to kind of keep you interested a little bit more than Austin for me, Vettel in particular, uh, doing the long first stint and then coming out behind the pack but on racier tires. That was certainly a little bit interesting. Is he going to catch the the Red Bulls? Um, but ultimately, we were for the front two, we were treated with the exact same stuff that we had in, in Austin in the sense that Lewis had it under control up front. Nico was more than happy with second place. And um, they had only one stop to make, which they made. And so we had a, we had a long, lengthy period of time where, where not a lot was happening because Nico couldn't make any inroads into Lewis. But at the same time, he wasn't really under threat. No, they, they extended his stint, didn't they, a little bit to make sure that he came out ahead of, uh, I think it was Ricardo at that point. Yeah, um, so... which they did, they successfully did. And w- once they'd done that, you kind of got the impression that they, 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 that was them achieving everything they needed to achieve. But by that point, it was only lap, you know, 25. And there yeah, was we, did have, to go. we did have Verstappen's lunge on Rosberg where he dived from really late, locked up, and, and then went nowhere. Yep. And then that, that was took, it. That took, what, 45 laps to transpire, <laughs> though. He did. And that's the it problem. Really did. That's the problem, you know. That's not great. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I said, it wasn't the worst. I've seen worse. Like, the United States race was worse for me, but it did. There was a lot of lull in there. Um, I was keeping a close eye on... Vettel coming through on the younger tyres and Daniel Ricciardo coming through on the contrary strategy. So at least we had that to sort of keep an eye on it and go, hmm, what's going on here? But, but nothing ne- else happened. There were, it, at least in Austin, there was the so those sort of midfield battles that we kept on cutting back to. But that didn't happen here. Everybody was just <laughs> following each other around the yeah. track. And we had... Um, we had Perez in Massa oh. for 700 yes. laps. <laughs> it was amazing. Poor Perez in his own Grand Prix just following the back of Felipe Massa's gearbox for literally the entire race, the poor guy. Uh, it wasn't well, he great. Did, he did 51 laps on the mediums. So That's a problem. It, it was at least laps. 51 laps of not getting past Massa. 51 laps on a set of tyres. I mean, well, I, know, I know we talk about... We know we 59 on his mediums. That's just silly. That's no-stop territory. Yes. Apparently, they were saying that Pirelli thought that the race distance for the medium tyre for this race was 110 laps. <laughs> why bring it? Could have done nearly double race distance. It's what mental. What's the point? Mental. That's senseless. That's just so stupid. You know, if you didn't have a compulsory pit stop, then you could go the whole race without stopping we would literally have 22 drivers drive off the grid and then come back in the exact same order <laughs> it's just senseless like you know lewis was never troubled up front uh, i've just noticed something jolian palmer did 69 laps on the medium he stopped on the first lap to get rid of his super softs and one stopped basically that, that's ridiculous 
The six. fact that that's possible is ridiculous. As did Marcus Ericsson. Actually, I'm just looking at looking at it now. They both stopped on the first lap, stuck on the medium tyres, and drove to the end. That's why there was no battles. Nope. Exactly. Because everybody was just managing tyres for 60 laps. Yeah, get... you, you can really see it when you look at the tyre strategy. And it's just a sea of stint two mediums with above 50 laps on all of them. So everybody's just five to ten seconds behind each other just driving home. Yeah. <laughs> like like going home from work one day. <laughs> the M25 of racetracks, Mexico. It's not a bad track either. No, it's, that's the, it's the highest top speeds. Yeah. Lots of straights you'd have thought, ah, oh, great. With the RS and stuff, there'll be loads of passing. Nope. But they just... Uh, not a sausage. Less, end, less overtakes than Monaco. Not a good uh, tyre <laughs> choice. No. At least we had... The well, saving grace was the last five laps. Let's just going to say, yeah, after, after 70 laps of dull racing, we had one... <laughs> one and a half laps thank, of th- insanity. Thank God for <laughs> thank God for Danny Ricardo doing something different and putting on the the fresh boots and attacking at the end. And thank God for Sebastian trying something slightly different as well and and, and having a yeah. a long first step because it ended up with you know Max tried his move on Nico. I suppose we should start there because that's the first sort of talking point. He tried the move, didn't come off. Flat spots the tires and he's not changing them. Yep, and that's it. Nico's five seconds clear then, and um, that's it for for Max. You know, he's not going to be able to pass Nico at that point. Then Nico's too far down the road. Once he, he he runs wide, he comes back onto the track, and Nico gets clear. It, it's done, it's, isn't it? It's done. It's done. Lewis is well and truly comfortable up front. Nico only had to fend off Max. He knows second place is enough to win the world championship. They're happy. The Mercedes are. As in the United States, they're, they're coasting home. Yep. They've one, got two. The engine. one, two, job done. Behind them, <laughs> you've got Max. You got Max, who's on the, on the oldest tyres. So his, yep. his tyres are, uh, at that point, um, 20 laps older than Vettel's. Then you've got Sebastian on the medium-life tyres. And then you've got Ricardo on the freshest tyres. So the, you know... The oldest to to youngest in that order, you know, third, fourth, and fifth. So it's it, it they're all bunching up. You could see it happening with ten laps to go. You know, they're slowly but surely all coming together because of the nature of the tires. Verstappen's going slower, Vettel's in the meeting the sandwich, and Ricardo's going quick on the young tires. And they're all bunching up. And they're all bunching up, and that's when it obviously all sort of kicks off. And unfortunately, and it's never fun, but the race result in which they cross the line was never going to be the result. That they, that, <laughs> the fact that, that it changed twice uh, is a little bit spectacular. Which is frustrating for fans, of course, but it's just madness. So you have... first. Well, the first bit was Vettel on Verstappen. So you have Vettel tries to pass Verstappen. Verstappen runs wide, comes back on in front of Vettel, a little bit like Lewis, but with a much more blatant stayed in the position than what Lewis's was. Yes. Max didn't lock up, I don't think, or if they did, so did Vettel. So it, was, it wasn't it was a clean move in, in any way, shape or form. But you could quite clearly see that rather than try and slow and come back onto the, the track, Max kind of gave up and then went, well, I'm, crossing the, I'm going to cross the track here and see what happens. Not only that as well, Lewis... Then it wasn't like he was under very like specific threat of the position with Rosberg no. the first corner, whereas Max was very clearly under threat from Vettel. 
and would have been passed, you know, all things being equal. So right away, you're thinking, right, so Max is back on in front of Vettel, but he has to give that place, surely. And the radio even, you heard it on the radio, they said, Max, I think you're going to have to give, give that, yeah. I think we're going to have to give that place back. And he just didn't. Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, Max. But, uh, Christian Horner said that um, after that radio message, there was another me- message that went out um, from the team saying, actually, stay where you are. Race control haven't said to give the place back. Stay out there until you know, till we till we learn something different. So that's fair enough, you know. Well, it's not. It's it's BS if I'm completely honest. Um, From Max's point of view, I'm saying. Well, I'm not. I'm not being funny. The team tells. If I was Red Bull, that's what I'd do. But yeah, I, I think the thing is, or let's put it this way: I can understand why Red Bull have done it, and technically they haven't broken any rules, so. Uh, they technically haven't done anything wrong, but it's the wrong thing for Formula One to be saying um, the teams will openly uh, and happily play something like that out for their benefit, um, rather than do the sportsmanlike thing, which is to say, I knew I only kept that place because I cut the grass. I should give it back. In any other situation, I would. Do you know what I mean? If yeah. I'd been in 15th and 16th, I'd have just given that place back and then said, oh, well, there you go. But they didn't. And they knowingly didn't because they said at the start, before they decided not to, that they think that, that they thought that they should have to give the place back. So they knew they were in the wrong. And then just because they weren't being specifically called out for it, they didn't do anything about it. Now, I think that bit is wrong in terms of how F1 should be run and how the team should do it. I think for the, for the sake of the sport the teams have to take some responsibility to behave in a way that shows good sportsmanlike conduct and not be whining on the on the radio every five minutes every time something goes wrong <laughs> or playing the rules to their advantage when they know they're in the wrong. It's just, that's the bit that gets me about it. It's not that you can say, oh, well, technically you did nothing wrong because the stewards said that they'd review it after the race. The pundits knew it was wrong at the time. Red Bull knew it was wrong at the time. Um, why the stewards stewards didn't look at that and go, we need to make a decision about this right now. It's it's entirely clear cut, regardless of whichever way you look around it, that he only kept that place by going off the track because he wasn't making the corner, and Vettel would have. It should have taken thirty seconds to work that out on a on a quick replay, maybe a minute, maybe one maybe one lap. But it's it, this thing that they have with refusing to make a decision when if it's, it's in like the last five laps, but then that's just rubbish. That's, that's just rubbish. Yeah, that's a bad strategy. Just make the decision. It's not difficult. You know, if you really can't, if it's really incredibly, you know, difficult to make it, then this say, is, then yeah. say we can't. We've looked at it, but we can't make a decision. A more in-depth discussion will be looked at after the race. But for something like that, they seem to have the default <laughs> position of just going, "Oh, it's only five laps to go. We'll just deal with it later." And that's not really, especially when you look any at any use. Everybody could see what the situation was about what was happening in the. the uh, Max was backing Vettel up into Ricardo, so all of that annoys me more than more than Max, um, you know, being naughty I, and then not doing something not, about it. I'm not particularly as frustrated as you are with uh, Red Bull for saying. Well, I can't blame them. I'm not blaming them. Yeah. They did what was entitled to them within the le- the letter of the law. I just don't think it's a good advert for F1. 
that's fair enough. Um, it, it's not something that particularly concerns concerns me. What would concern me a lot more is the stewards not making the decision with five laps to yeah. go, and the stewards just general <laughs> lousiness, shall we say, at times. Not just this weekend, but just in general. It was much more of a concern to me than Red Bull maybe going, hang on a minute here, they haven't told us to do it, so let's not do it. I, I, I'm, I'm very much of a, if I was in that position on the Red Bull pit wall, I'd do the exact same. So it's not something that is a particular a particular bugbear of mine. Um, what was frustrating as a Ferrari fan, though, was that clearly, and as Vettel alluded to on the radio, it, result, it resulted in Ricardo being able to have a run at, at Seb, whereas if the stewards had gone within 30 seconds... Verstappen needs to give the place back. Vettel would have been ahead of Verstappen, and Ricardo wouldn't have been able to have a run at Vettel. Or at least he'd have had to have gotten past his teammate, yeah. which would have been interesting enough, enough in itself. Yeah, exactly. And there wasn't an awful lot of time left in the race anyway. So Ricardo, uh, he might have got past Max, but he might not have got past Vettel. So that was frustrating because ultimately, once it's all been said and done, Vettel's been penalised for the re- re- the contact with Ricardo. But if Max hadn't had been told to give the place back right away, Vettel would never have been put in that situation against Ricardo, and Vettel would never have been had to have been penalised. Well, I don't think you can say never. I think you well, have to say okay. it becomes less likely. But I, agree. I, 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 I believe he wouldn't have been in the situation. I don't think Ricardo would have got to Vettel had the the pass on Verstappen. It's all ifs and buts and maybe's, of course. But I, I think Vettel would have had enough to to move, to go past Max and and stay ahead. Uh, because I don't think Max would have given up Ricardo's position too easily. And then by that point, there wasn't a lot of laps left and Vettel was down the road. I don't think they would, I just think they would have ran out of time in terms of how long was left in the race. So let's, let's go on to that incident then. So the uh, Vettel incident, the Vettel Vettel incident is the Verstappen rule. The Verstappen rule, which two weeks ago probably wouldn't have got punished, but you know, you read what you saw. I'm Sebastian's biggest fan, but he's the biggest complaint of the Verstappen move, and he's gone and kind of done one. So it's hard to defend, really, isn't it? You know? Yes. He, <laughs> he, he moves to the right and then makes an erratic move to the left uh, in the braking zone. I, I've looked at it a few times and trying to come up with a defense for Sebastian here because, you know, I'm a Ferrari fan, I'm a Vettel fan. And the only thing I could clutch, the only straw that I could clutch to, is that because Mac is is so close to Max um, in front of him, and he's and he's just he's you know looking at Max as well, and he's having to try and. You know, but that's the. <laughs> I don't think you even get the that. Sight I'm of the straw being clutched. I know. <laughs> uh, um, uh, so, it's not. It's, it's a penalty, and I think it's a Stonewall one. Um, it's a Stonewall one under the new regulations. Uh, and I think when I, and I think the regulation is right. I think the right, rule is right. That's the so. Same. So that's the, that was my next point. Whether you, you think the regulation is the right regulation, that's a you know a whole other debate. I think but, yeah. it, I think it, infor- it only ever enforces something that was a um, technically a an unwritten rule anyway. So um, you know that's that's just the way the cookie crumbles. If we could have all have just played nicely, do you know what I mean? You wouldn't have needed a referee. So <laughs> that's that's the way it goes. Um, the, frustrating, but, the frustrating thing, you know, is that Vettel was the one complaining about Max. Yeah. You know? it, the, That's the, really the irony of that is, yeah, like, is not mean, lost. Come on, Seb, now, know. I think the thing that I want to discuss about that is, 
Um, Max gets a five-second penalty, and Vettel gets a ten-second penalty. I think Max's indiscretion is at least comparable to what Vettel did. They both ruined somebody else's race by making a move that then um, cost them the uh, place that they should probably rightfully have had. Because Ricardo should have should have passed Vettel realistically. Yep. Okay. Um, and as we said, Vettel was completely and utterly primed to uh, overtake Max. So I don't understand the double standard, really, of saying one of these incidents only merited a five-place grid penalty when it was so much more deliberate. Yeah, like no. they thought about that, not uh, about not moving for three, you know, for five laps until the end of the race, essentially, because they didn't do anything else about it. Um, uh, Vettel made an instantaneous choice to jink his car to the left, which was stupid. Um, but he hadn't been planning that for the, like the last four laps. <laughs> so I don't understand why Vettel's is worse than Verstappen's. Uh, I mean, I, I can't really argue with you in that sense that they both should probably be. It's either five or it's ten, but it's yeah, yeah, the same yeah. for both. Yep, I'm inclined to agree. Uh, but you can't understand why it's different, and I can't understand why it's different. So, what <laughs> you know, the, the the stewards sometimes, like I said earlier, you know, some of the general lousiness of them. I'm not quite sure sometimes what 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 exactly goes on in their minds, but. I agree. It should be, uh, you know, it looks like it's it's, it's it should be a, a, a comparable penalty. It, yeah. It's kind of ridiculous because when you when you even it out, what it means is Ricardo um, ends up uh, third. Yep. Which I, I I can't complain about because at that point he was in the faster car. Um, he's got a reasonable chance about passing both of those. You know, he's got a chance of passing both of those cars. Uh, at the speed he was going. Yep. If everybody's played fairly for the and last then Seb laps. should should have ended up fourth because he would have been faster than Max, um, but wasn't faster than Ricardo, and Max was slower than both of them um, mm-hmm. and was the cause of all the problems. So should have ended up fifth. So, but, but Max has gotten fourth ahead of Vettel because because of that seconds. five second time difference. Yeah. And that's the bit that that I would agree is unfair. You know, it should I agree it should have been Ricardo Seb. Max and they both should be given the same penalty, and I don't think anybody would have had any complaints then. No, know? even Sebastian, and who loves a complaint, he probably wouldn't have had any complaints then. Um, if it had that been given the, had that been the ultimate ruling that Ricardo three, Seb four, Max five, both Max and Vettel ten seconds. Yeah, I think uh, everyone, uh, everybody everybody goes. All right, it's kind of evens itself out, yeah. isn't it? I think everybody. Yeah, I agree. Uh, as it stands. Yeah, it's a little bit it's a little bit um, better that, that that Seb has been dumped into fifth behind Max. I, I find that a little bit a little bit of a I'm not sure about that one, bit tough to take. However, having said that, just the whole the whole thing was just pure entertainment for me. Uh, well, Max, watching them watching them swap around yeah. on the on the podium was hilarious. Max, Max's face when he realizes he isn't on the podium in the in the room before the podium with with the two Merc drivers. Just, yeah. The two Mercedes boys just standing there going, what on earth has happened here? <laughs> <laughs> and Max has come in and he's smiling away and he, his face as he looks at the screen and his smile starts to drop. And he goes, oh, I'm not here. Bye, guys. So he, and he says bye to Nico and leaves. It's brilliant telly. And then, and then, and Seb, then Seb running through the paddock. Sprinting, sprinting across the race course to get, 
to get back to the to the podium. You got like Toto and uh, Ariva Benny and whoever else all just hanging about out in the stadium complex. It's all gone mental. No, it was just, it was brilliant TV. Brilliant pantomime. Brilliant entertainment. So from that, can't argue one little bit. But uh, yeah, just think Vettel should have been classified ahead of Max. That's my only complaint. And finally, to round it all off, because what we'll do is we'll do a very quick rundown of all of the finishes just so that we can finish up on time. Um, swearing at Charlie Whiting. Oh, of course. Uh, well, big fine, some kind of community service. Do you think that that would have been more appropriate than just letting him off for saying sorry? Uh, I, don't, I reckon you're, 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 I mean, uh, I'd like to have seen them do something. I'm not um, particularly concerned by it, but then I think that's just more me. I could see why people would be. It's not a concern. For I me. think the thing is, is that we've gotten used to drivers swearing at one another because they they've gesticulated out of their cars at one another for for decades, but they you don't see people generally making that kind of offensive remark about the the especially Charlie Whiting, who is the race director. He isn't the stewards. For a start, it's not actually his decision. Do you know what I mean? To refer it to the end of the race, it's the steward's decision. Um, I, I think we want to take the rugby attitude to respecting um, people like Charlie Whiting as the referee, um, rather than the football mm-hmm. ment- mentality, which is that you swear and shout your head off, and the referee gets no respect. We'd managed to have respect for for the officials generally. I mean, I know drivers have complained about the officiating, uh, and sometimes with fairly good justification. Um, in the past, um, you know, I know Senate has said quite a large amount of things about the FIA at times, and he was quite right to do so because they were incredibly corrupt um, and making decisions to to benefit uh, the teams that they liked and the drivers that they liked. But it wasn't even in that same kind of way. There was the I have a legitimate complaint about this this is my grievance and Seb was just swearing at Charlie Whiting and I think to maintain a positive image for the sport I think you say Seb pays a hundred grand fine big fine that goes to some kind of charity kids charity and he goes out and he does something around a race weekend (laughs) one of the race weekends in the field that just is a little bit not humiliating but just enough to say uh, and you've got to spend your time doing this do you know what I mean this isn't you know this isn't part of your race weekend. You're going to do this before or after it or sometime in between. It's going to be an FIA mandated event that you're going to go to and spend your time doing it rather than being sat in a pool in Monaco or, or wherever. Uh, just to wrap up then, because uh, we're, we're running quite um, quite close to the mark for our for our usual podcast <laughs> length and I don't want to spend too much time. Let's let's rattle through these finishes. So Nick, uh, Kimi Raikkonen um, finishes uh, in... Uh, sixth place after yep. taking a sort of random extra stop which given that everybody else did 50 <laughs> laps on their tyres seems in- completely stupid um, Kimi, could, Kimi couldn't even do 20 without losing grip it just didn't, didn't have the grip it was bizarre it was really weird given given what everybody else did uh, Hulkenberg uh, creditably brings home the Force India in seventh um, good, good and well needed result you it know. certainly was with um, um, Perez finishing much lower down and the Williams finishing line astern Bottas and Massa after it uh, and then Perez, he, they definitely needed to be ahead at that point. I think Perez. it's. Does it still keep them ahead this at this at the moment? I think it does, doesn't uh, it? I need to double check, but I'm not 100 percent sure. But Perez looked as if he had the pace to 
speed 25 seconds up the road. He just couldn't, he just <laughs> just couldn't, couldn't get past, past Massa. Massa. Which seemed pro- to be... The, proper old-school F1 stuff, that, where you're genuinely stuck behind a guy. Something that we haven't really seen in the DRS era where you can generally blast past drivers up the straight. Yep. He just could not do it for 50 laps. And, you know, that's um, what it is. They are still ahead by nine points. Okay, goes, cool. Goes right to the wire. Uh, Ericsson manages a very credible uh, 11th place, which has got to be one of the best finishes for Sabers. They still need that point to finish ahead of Manus. They've yep. got two races to get that last point. Um, but that 11th place will put them well ahead of Manor in terms of best placed other finishes once they do count back if they score a point. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, uh, so just one point needed for them. I don't think they'll get it for what it's No, like. I don't think they will either. <laughs> um, so that will be the first season that um, Sauber have ever finished last in the championship, interestingly. Yeah. Uh, Button and Alonso then finished behind them. They Both drivers got caught behind Carlos Sainz for a larger part of the race. Um, eventually managed to get past uh, with Button getting the, the better of it in the final since um, Fernando Alonso obviously uh, found himself behind his his, uh, his teammate um, with enough time to do a stop and get out. So changed for the softs uh, for the last 25 laps of the race. Didn't really get him anywhere. Um, Jolyn Palmer finishes uh, very credibly behind the... Um, McLaren's having started um, pretty much last from the pit lane after cracking his uh, chassis before um, Q1. So that's a very good result for him in his fight to, you know, uh, keep his Renault seat. Uh, and a good drive all round for him, I think. That, that's um, uh, sticking it out on the tyres and making it last and, and, and getting to the end. It shows a, a credible amount of, of car control, I think, um, from Jolly On. Um, so good for him. Uh, Sainz slips down then after holding up the um, McLarens. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why. Um, if he was able to hold them up for that long, you'd have thought he'd have been able to have done sl- held on for slightly longer. Uh, NASA did um, was the only person that started on the mediums and then went for a 20-lap super soft stint at the end, uh, which got him ahead of um, a few people. Uh, so again, another credible drive for Salva there. Probably their best result in terms of race pace for um yeah, I agree with that. It looked a bit better this weekend. Uh, Kvyat then finishes uh, behind NASA, but ahead of Kevin Magnussen. Uh, both did um, three stints uh, at the end, with Magnussen sw- switching on the super softs only 19 laps from the end, but that wasn't seemingly enough to pull him back up the field. Uh, after quali- I think, uh, well, after qualifying fairly well, I think he qualified in like uh, about 14th, didn't he? So um, not one of Magnussen's um, best races, potentially. Uh, Gutierrez finishes ahead of Grosjean which uh, is very creditable they did almost identical strategies um, Ocon finishes two laps down again um, which I think is doing him no favours at all in terms of um, making him look uh, a viable proposition for next season uh, and poor old Pascal Verlein got a shunt up uh, the back end or from the side from uh, Esteban Gutierrez, who didn't get a penalty for it, which Verlon was um, very much upset about, um, and was, in fact, the only uh, DNF of this entire race. So the hybrid era, hybrid era continues a pace of being probably the most reliable season uh, we've ever had in Formula <laughs> 1, realistically. Unless you're Lewis Hamilton. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get that in there. Sorry, guys. That was just being a little bit sarcastic. That wasn't a dig at Lewis. Um it's all about Interlagos now. It is. Um, Rosberg can win it if he wins, which is interesting. Puts a little bit more, um, you know, uh, a bit more emphasis on not just finishing second, not just it's having cert- to do enough. It certainly does. And it's also interesting that he's won Interlagos the last two seasons. 
and Lewis Hamilton has never won there. So a repeat of that form, and Nico Rosberg's the world champion. Can so, he do it? Can it, he get it done? All will be revealed. And of course, the interesting thing is Interlagos noted for changeable climate conditions. So there's no guarantee that um, even if they qualify at the front of the grid, it may not necessarily mean that that is where they finish if the race um, gets a sudden monsoon in the middle of it. Could see um, places being swapped about uh, yeah. all of I the think, thing. I think if Nico, you know, two or three races ago, if you'd said to him, all you need to do is turn up in Brazil, win the race, and you're a world champion. He'd have taken, he'd have bitten your hand off for that. A race that, a track that he likes. He's won there the last two seasons in a row. In the same car, whenever Lewis and Nico have been teammates in Mercedes, Lewis has never finished ahead of Nico in Lagos. So if you told Nico all you need to do is beat Lewis in Brazil <laughs> and you're champion, he'd take that every day of the week. So I bet he would. I let's, bet he would. Uh, let's wait and see what happens. Uh, and on, on that note, that takes us to the end of the podcast. Uh, just want to give a quick shout out to uh, Scott, who does all of our track intros um, every week uh, or every race. Um, he sends this to us without fail, except when I forget to put them into the show. Um, we don't mention him enough for doing that for us, and it's a, a really integral part of the show. So again, thank you, Scott, for taking the time to do that for us. And... That's us being the Last Lap Podcast. Find us on the web at www.lastlappodcast.co.uk. Find us on the Facebook by searching for the Last Lap Podcast. Uh, find us on Twitter at Last Lap Podcast. Um, and uh, we are available to stream from our website. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, you can subscribe to us on TuneIns and you can subscribe to us on Stitcher. So there is no reason at all why you can't get the latest episodes of the podcast delivered directly <laughs> to your device if you so desire. And you should, really, because you've listened to this one. So um, <laughs> all the others are just as good or better, possibly. Um, so thanks very much for listening again. We will speak to you after Interlagos where we may have a new world champion or not. Let's wait and see. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye-bye.